we go. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, open those to Luke, the 18th chapter. Luke 18, we're going to start there in verse 18 in just a minute. I always have to be careful with that. I am notorious for telling you to turn to a chapter and never telling you what verse we're going to start in. Uh, so just watch me and we'll make it. Uh, it is great to be back with you all today. I uh, look forward to getting to spend this time in God's Word together. And we're going to be looking at what is really the first part of a two-part story in Luke. Uh, he purposefully takes two accounts uh, of Jesus having interaction with a rich man, and he puts them back to back almost. There's a little section in between, but he intentionally puts them together uh, because they have the same theme they have the same sort of characters involved, uh, rich men and Jesus, uh, but two different decisions get made. And we're going to look at part one this week, and God willing, if we're here next week, we'll probably look at part two. So, uh, before we go to God's Word together, uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father God, thank you for this time that we can come and gather in this place, uh, seeing that you are worthy, uh, seeing our praises to you. And God, thank you that we also have a chance to open your word, to let it speak to us, to let it show us the truth that it contains. And we pray that we would have ears to hear and hearts to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's read our passage together. And then we're going to go back and look at what it shows us. Uh, let's start reading in verse 18. A certain ruler asked him, a good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this said, Well, well who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with men is possible with God. Peter said to him, Well, we have left all we had to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents for the, or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come. Eternal life. What do we see here in this familiar story uh, that, that we call the rich young ruler? Well, what we see here is a, is a tale about salvation. A lesson about salvation. And it shows us a few things, but I want us to look at them one at a time. And the first thing we see is that salvation is not about religion. Salvation is not about religion. Look back with me in verse 18. A certain ruler asked him, and by the way, if you want to know how I got to rich and young, well, he says later he's rich. We get young from this account is in uh, Matthew as well, and Matthew points out that it's a young man. So that's where I'm getting that little bit of detail. So if you want some homework, you can go read how Matthew records the account. But this young man comes to Jesus and says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And that's what lets us know that religion is what's on the young man's mind. It's that what must 
I do. You see, when I say religion here, what I mean is uh, not so much uh, a set system of beliefs, kind of that Webster's Dictionary definition uh, of religion, but rather what I mean is those outward acts that we perform in order to try to earn righteousness, in order to try to earn forgiveness, to earn salvation, to try to make uh, one day when we stand before God, the scales, the good and bad, the, the good just sort of outweigh the bad. And so this young man comes to Jesus and says, what must I do? What command do I need to obey? What rules do I need to follow? What task do I need to perform? And it's funny We would expect, because we live on this side of the cross and we have the fullness of Scripture, we would expect Jesus to say something very church-sounding, right? Well, it's not about what you can do. It's about what I can do for you and in you and me being your Savior. We would think that's what would happen, but look what Jesus says. It's interesting. If the young man wants to talk religion, Jesus will talk religion with him. Look what he says. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. And what Jesus is doing there is he's trying to get the young man to kind of form an equation in his mind. He's saying, young man, if you're calling me good and only God is good, think about what you're saying about me. And let's give the young man some credit here. Jesus is trying to get him to see that he is God. And let's give the young man some credit. We're usually very harsh on him. He came seeking eternal life. And he came to the right place, didn't he? And that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I'm God, and if you want to know, here's what you do. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Now, what passage is that that Jesus is quoting? Somebody? Well, what do we call those, those rules? The Ten Commandments. Okay, and most of us know the Ten Commandments, probably could quote them. At the very least, we've all seen the movie, right? Charlton Heston and Yul Brynner are having a melodrama contest, right, to see who can outact the other person, right? And so uh, these are the Ten Commandments, but Jesus does something interesting here. Look what he does. Do not commit adultery, murder, steal. I'm just going to list them because do not precedes all of them. Murder, steal, false testimony, and then honor your father and mother. What do all these commandments have in common? They're all found in Exodus. I thought somebody, every time I preach the sermon, somebody's always given me that answer. There's always been the one funny guy in church who's like, they're all in Exodus. They're all outward, aren't they? Because that's what's on the young man's mind. Jesus lists all these outward commandments. Why? Why only the outward commandments? We'll see in a minute. And look what the young man's response is in verse 21. All these I have kept since I was a boy. Now, commentators, uh, here's the funny thing, and if you've ever posted on Facebook more than once, you've, run in, you've learned this lesson the hard way. When you have something in print, you don't get the inflection it was said with. And so commentators kind of have this debate uh, about how the young man said this, what it sounded like when he said these words. Did he say it as, well, you know, Jesus, happy to tell you, I've kept all those since I was a boy. Or did it sound like, Jesus, I've kept all those since I was a boy. 
And I'm still here trying to figure it out. And commentators don't really know which way, because obviously there wasn't, you know, ancient Greek was not written in a particular font that tells us when the man's, you know, being self-confident or when he's being doubting. Uh, So if you want to know just my personal opinion, I think he's coming down more on the doubt side. That's why he's here asking the question. And that teaches us something interesting, I think. That the young man has done it all. He's kept all these outward rules. From the outside looking in, he's as good as a person can be. He's, he's followed all these commandments. He, he's done all the religious stuff. And he's still there with no peace about whether or not he has eternal life. He's, he's checked all the boxes. He's done all the stuff. But he's not found peace. If what we're depending on for salvation is religion, us doing enough good stuff, coming to church enough, giving enough money in the plate, reading our Bible enough, being baptized, saying enough of the right kind of prayers, if that's what we're dependent on, if that's you this morning, you've probably noticed in the back of your mind, you're always asking, is it enough? Can I be sure? How can I know I've done enough? Can I tell you the reason you're never sure and there's never that that, that guarantee that you know you've done enough? It's because you can't do enough. You can check all the boxes. You can live life by the old Sunday school role. Does anybody remember the old red and white Sunday school role book? I say the old. They may even still use them. I'm sure if people buy them, Lifeway still sells them. Do y'all still use those, James? The old red and white Sunday school book? The Sunday school director may be in the second service, so I don't know. Uh, but, but does anybody remember that book where you had the names of the class members on the side? And then across the top, it had um, like attending, staying for Sunday service. Yeah, you, people came to Sunday school but not worship. I'm crazy as that sounds. And then it had Bible brought offering brought, uh, contacts made, and like it had this list like, you know, and you had this contest every Sunday to see who was the best Baptist, you know? And y'all, for so many of us, that's our approach to salvation. Well, let's see. I went to church this morning. I gave money. Well, you know, that's two checks. I read my Bible three out of five days. That'll, that'll count. And we're just checking off boxes. But can I tell you the test for salvation, the test for how we get into heaven, there's only one box. And out beside the box it says, holy. Or if you want an English word that we know a little bit better, perfect. That's the standard. That's, That's why Paul says in Romans, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. One mistake and you're not perfect anymore. That's the standard. And religion, no matter how well-intentioned, no matter how much we do it, can never get us to perfect. Salvation is not about religion. Salvation is about a decision. Look what happens. Jesus says to these, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. When Jesus heard this, he said to him... 
you still lack one thing. What did we say earlier? That religion couldn't earn a salvation? If you don't trust me, trust Jesus. Because one day, if religion is what you're trusting, you're going to stand before a holy God with holiness as the standard, and you will be lacking. You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. There's two things that Jesus is calling the young man to. The first thing he's calling him to is to repent. And you might say, Stephen, where's... I don't hear Jesus give an altar call. I don't think Peter's over on the side playing just as I am. Why? What is... Where is the repentance here? Well, let's look back at verse 22. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. Now, on, at first glance, we hear that, and we say, well, Stephen, wait a minute. Well, we just looked at how there's nothing we can do to earn salvation. There's nothing that we do that gets us into heaven, but it sure sounds like Jesus is telling the young man, if you do this, you'll get into heaven. Where's the repentance there? It's because selling everything he has, giving it to the poor, isn't about the action that the young man takes. It's about the heart he has to have before he takes it. How do we know that? Think back for a minute. What commandments did Jesus leave off the list earlier? No other gods before me. No idols. I'm just going to abbreviate no idols. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. And what's the last one? Don't covet. Number 10, Jesus left off. Why? Because as good as this young man was on the outside, on the inside, he had a problem. All his riches, all his wealth, his lifestyle, his comfort, the ease that that brought him, the prominence that that brought him. He was a ruler after all. He was somebody who was known in his community. All that had gotten built up in his life, had become so important in his life that he had made it into an idol. What Jesus is doing is he's speaking to the sin in the young man's life and he's calling him to repent of that. Because let me ask you something. If the young man was unwilling to repent of this idolatry that's in his life, if he was unwilling to let go uh, of this sin that's in his life, and by the way, the fact that Jesus mentions coveting is really important, or didn't mention coveting earlier, is really important. But if the young man isn't willing to turn from that, and that's what repent means, to turn and go a new direction, if he's not willing to turn from that, then the action itself is meaningless. If he gave away everything that he owned, but still desired it, and then just went and worked and got it all back, his heart never changed. It's the equivalent of being baptized without ever accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Without repentance, do you know baptism doesn't get you saved, it just gets you wet? Jesus is calling him to repentance. Can I tell you something? There are two things, and Charles Spurgeon originally said this, there are two things that that, that are going to get people sent to hell. Sin and religion. 
Jesus has already dealt with the religion. Now he's trying to deal with the young man's sin. And when he heard this, this is verse 23, he became very sad. Why? Because he was a man of great wealth. That's interesting. Why, why didn't Jesus, why didn't, why didn't Luke just write it that, that the man, you know, was unrepentant? Why didn't, why didn't Luke just write it as, oh, the man didn't want to follow Jesus? But he was a man of great wealth. Do you know what had happened? This idol had gotten built up so strongly in the young man's life, the wealth, the stuff, the importance, the prestige, the comfort, all of it had become so important that that is what defined his life. And as we sit here this morning, can I tell you something? In 2,000 years, sin hasn't changed. And idolatry hasn't changed. What does this look like in our lives? Well, for us, maybe the thing we need to repent of is the same thing the young man did. Maybe money has become an idol in our lives. And it's something that that we've worked hard and we saved. And maybe we haven't run our business in a way that glorifies God. Maybe we haven't always been the most honest business partner. Uh, but, But now we've got a bank account. And it's huge. But just like this young man, when Jesus didn't mention coveting, we've got it all. But we still want more. It's an idol that doesn't satisfy. Maybe for us, our idol isn't money. Maybe for us, our idol is something more personal. Maybe it's romance. Maybe we've built marriage up in our, our marriage up in our minds to be an idol to where we've put our, our husband or our wife in the place of God. They're the, they're the person's will that we live by. Or maybe we're single and the idea of getting married has become our idol. And instead of finding our fulfillment and our satisfaction in Christ as our Savior, we try to find it in love. And so we chase after bad relationship after bad relationship. And we make decisions that we know aren't God-honoring with our bodies because that's what we need to do to find love and acceptance and meaning. Maybe something else has been built into an idol in our lives. That's That's not a bad thing in and of itself, but that we've made it into an idol. Maybe our bad thing is something terrible. Maybe it started off as one or two drinks, just, you know, when we're out with folks. And then, okay, we'll, we'll bring some home. And then we wake up in the morning and think, okay, if I can just make it through work, then I can have a drink at the end. And then pretty soon we're having one at lunch. And then, you know what, we have to get up in the morning and have one just before we can get, get up and get going in the day. And pretty soon alcohol controls us instead of us controlling it. And when we hear this call for repentance, it makes us sad. Because we've built this thing up to be the core, the center of our life. But it's not just a call to repentance. I intentionally left something out in verse, in the, in verse 23. Let's look back at it. Or 22, excuse me. It wasn't just a call to repentance. It was also a call to commitment. Because look what Jesus says. Sell everything you own... And then give to the poor, then you will have treasure in heaven. It's the repentance that brings the treasure in heaven. The, the selling is just the outward, uh, you know, the outward expression of that. Then come, follow me. Okay. Well, Stephen, is, is, 
Is Jesus saying to this young man, before you come to me, before you follow me, you need to go get your life straightened out? You need to go fix this? You need to go work something out? No, that's, that's not what Jesus is saying at all, because the young man has already come to Jesus, hasn't he? He's already come into Jesus' presence and seeking eternal life. And there's a great lesson there for us, by the way. We don't need to clean our lives up before we come to Jesus, but we should come to Jesus expecting our lives to be made clean. Jesus isn't saying, young man, you need to fix your problems before you come follow me. But what is he saying? He's saying, young man, if you repent of that sin, if you accept the forgiveness and grace that I offer, then come spend the rest of your life following me. Because let me ask you something. If he took everything, the young man, if he took everything he owned and gave it to the poor, or sold it and gave the money away. What would he have left at the end of that? Jesus. He would have the sh- shirt on his back, the shoes on his feet, and Jesus. Christian, how many of us, we made that initial repentance? We, we turned away from, from either the sin in our life, the idolatry in our life, whatever it was that we had put in the place of God in our life. We turned away from that and we followed Jesus. But when we went to follow Jesus, we, we kind of treated the sin or some area in our life that we haven't turned over to God. And it's kind of like a ball and chain and we're trying to follow Jesus and we're dragging it along behind us. Jesus says, get rid of all of it and come follow me. And by the way, it's a lifetime thing. Did Jesus tell the young man, come follow me on Sundays and Wednesday nights? No, he didn't. Come follow me when the preacher's around. Come follow me when folks from church are around. No. It would be every moment of every day for the rest of the young man's life. A simple decision. Repent and then commit to following me. So we see salvation is not about religion. Salvation is about a decision. And lastly, I want us to see that salvation is about an eternal perspective. I'm going to read verse 23 to you again. When he heard this, he's the young man, but he became very sad. He was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And you'll hear commentators kind of go back and forth about what Jesus is referencing when he says a camel going through the eye of the needle. The, the point, depending on, regardless of what they're refer- Jesus is referencing, the point is, it's really hard. It's very difficult. And those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus, if this guy that on the outside had it all together, this guy who had it all, this guy who was earnestly seeking how to have eternal life, this guy who found the place to to get eternal life, who found you, but was unwilling to repent, how can anybody be saved? Verse 27, Jesus replies, What is impossible with men is possible with God. By the way, next week, if you want to see the camel go through the eye of the needle, be here next week. We're going to see it happen. 
All right. That's the tease for part two. Okay. All right. That's the cliffhanger at the end of the episode. Now, it seems like the story's over. Seems like there's nothing left to be said. And any time in the Gospels when it seems like nothing needs to be said, who says something? Peter does, right? Look what happens here. Peter said to him, We have left all we had to follow you. And in Peter's defense, in this case, it's not just Peter who's having this thought. It's all the disciples. That's why Peter steps up and says, We have left all we had to follow you. But listen to those words. Jesus, you know, we've left all we had to follow you. Well, we made that decision to, to commit our life, repent and, and commit our lives to following you. We've done that. And can you almost hear in the back of that what's in it for us? What, 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 do we, what, what happens now? And look at Jesus' response. I tell you the truth, Jesus said to him, or said to them, No one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. What is at stake in this decision? What are we talking about? We're talking about forever. We're talking about eternity. And by the way... The young man faced this same dilemma, didn't he? Why do you think he was sad? Because he was a man of great wealth. Did he think about his mountain of money at home and say, Oh man, that money really depresses me. I'm really sad about that money. There's a comedian, I think it was Brian Regan that I heard say this one time. He, He does a bit when he talks about money and he says, You know how you hear people say money can't buy you happiness? You know what I found? It can buy you a jet ski. Have you ever tried to frown on a jet ski? You can't do it. Was it the money itself that was making the young man sad? No. Do you know what made the young man sad? He had come to the one place, the one person who could show him the way and give him and give him eternal life. And when he waited out an eternity with God in a place called heaven, or the stuff of this world, he chose the things of this world. That's what he was sad about, was he knew this was his chance. And he chose to walk away from it. If you're here today, the decision to accept Christ is not a decision just to be a better person tomorrow morning when you wake up. What's on the line is not a better life. And it's certainly not living your best life now. That's my Joel Osteen impression. Get ready. You're going to hear it a few times if I end up preaching here a lot. What's on the line, what's at stake, is nothing less than an eternity either spent in a place called hell, separated from God forever in eternal torment, or in a place called heaven, in the presence of God, eternal joy and happiness for ages upon end. Salvation is about an eternal perspective. And not just the repentance, but the following Jesus as well. Both parts require an eternal perspective. The repentance, the internal perspective is simple. Eternity in hell, eternity in heaven. That's a pretty easy choice. But what about Peter? Because Peter's already following Jesus at this point. He's already made that decision to commit his heart and life to Christ. Well, 
Peter's saying, well, Jesus, what about right now? What, 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 do we, what happens in this moment? That's where the brothers, the, Jesus can say, anyone who's left home or wife, brothers, parents, children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age. Now, how was Jesus going to give Peter and the other disciples, how was he going to give them back home and wife and children? And, and by the way, Salvation is free. Following Jesus is costly. But how is Jesus going to give them back parents and brothers and sisters and and home? and, And how is he going to do that? How does Jesus give us back those things if we've left those things to follow him? I'd suggest you look around the room. What do we have here? What do we call the church so often? We sing a chorus at the end a lot of times. What? I'm so glad I'm a part of the what of God? The family of God. And aren't we supposed to be, if if there's a generation gap between us, parents and children, aren't we supposed to be brothers and sisters? See, Jesus isn't putting down earthly families so much as he's calling attention to a greater family. And by the way, as important as our temporal families are, and they are important, God created them and God designed us to be in them. Can I tell you something? They are just a shadow of something that's meant to be for eternity. And Jesus is saying, Peter, you're going to be part of this family. And in the age to come, that family will go on forever. And that, by the way, is how we can commit to following Jesus is because he knows he's going to bring us into this faith community where there'll be people that support us, that encourage us, that pray with us, that help us fight through the temptation, uh, that hold us up when when life gets hard, that support us when, when times get difficult. And this bond that we build in this room will last into eternity. Salvation is not about religion. It's not about what we do to earn it. Salvation is about a decision to repent and to commit our lives to following Christ. And salvation is about an eternal perspective. Let's pray together.